Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a mm, real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug and play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point of sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The race is on, and Williams is the latest team to reveal its 2021 car with the unveiling of the Williams FW43B, and it's the first car to launch under new owner Doralton Capital that is hoped to mark the start of its revival. I'm Ed Straw, and joining me to take a close look at the car are Gary Anderson and Mark Hughes. Well, Gary, how would you rate the Williams launch? The augmented reality app, which was quite cool, actually, had to be abandoned thanks to it being hacked. But it was a nice, straightforward bunch of images and a press conference. It's dead simple. Yeah, it just shows you uh, technology. Um, yeah, it's obviously not right right there yet at the moment. So hacking is possible. Uh, yeah, I mean, they did release pictures of the car. We can see the, the majority of it. And I'm, I'm reasonably impressed what I've seen. There's a, there's a lot of sort of details on it that I think are pretty reasonably up to date and a couple of other ones that they've gone a slightly different route in themselves but I uh, you know looking at it I see on the internet there's a few complaints about um, colour schemes and stuff over the the new cars some people like things some people don't but you'll always get that but we're trying to look inside the colour scheme and that's the thing it's not very easy to do you know there's a lot of paintwork lines and highlight lines that affect what you see uh, especially when it comes to pictures and nice glossy pictures so Looking past all that, I think that they've 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 stepped stepped up the game, I believe, and I I wouldn't be surprised to see them making a you know a reasonable step forward this year. Yeah, certainly, it's uh, it's good to see them in in good shape. I mean, one of the things, Mark, that that was striking was how much better shape they're in at the start of this season, and massively so compared to two years earlier. It just seems a much more together team now, doesn't it? In terms of having the financial stability. And all the other problems, or at least those those huge problems sorted. Now it's just the the long hard grind to try and uh, try and climb the order. 
Yeah, the structural problems on the operational side and the manufacturing side, they were more or less sorted last year. They made, um, you know, because it was it had a fairly disastrous start to 2019 when they didn't have a car ready for the first day of testing. So, yeah, that was all um, refined a lot last year. And, and, and the, the build quality of the car was noticeably better when you... You know, when you when you saw them close up, um, it was just a much more it was the same architecture of car, but it was it was a much um, more refined version, and it it did find a, a big chunk of lap time. Um, I'm sure Gary's got the exact percentages in hand, but um, it, it from memory it found well over a second per lap on it on on its predecessor and cut the gap to the front by a lot with a car that looked to the the casual glance. Very similar, so that that car wasn't ever intended to do a a third season, but of course the regulations have demanded that it, it does. So, um, the yeah, they've, they've 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 done as much as they can within within those constraints, I guess. And um, there's a, a, a very positive vibe about the team as it enters into this new era, which is um, promising to be uh, you know a, a a very useful rebuilding era, and um, just in the press conference we just had you had your capito there saying you know um there's no reason whatsoever that it can't emulate the rebuild of of mclaren in the way that it, that has um been done in the last two years so yeah um a lot of investment going in there and um a lot of good people so yeah within within the constraints of the regulations this year that's probably you know it's probably expecting a lot to to, to for that to be really visible in competitive terms but yeah it has the feel of a place that's doing all the right things it's getting its house in order yeah it's all about clearing the the big problems first wasn't it last year just the the real real big fundamentals and then things like they've they've got weight off the car they actually said they've got ballast on the car this year which they didn't have uh, last year and they were overweight i think all of the previous years so it's been pretty hard work and i think it was sort of the middle of last season when they actually got down to the weight in certain configurations i think there were varieties depending on what suspension options it uh, it shows but gary as always you've you've been studying the images and you've got your performance spreadsheets there to, to quantify the the progress so so what strikes you about the car well the big thing is obviously they made progress last year um and that's critically important to the momentum of, of any team in 2019 they were 4.3% off their average average performance was 4.3% off uh, their Mercedes, which was fastest at most events, and last year it was 2.8%. So they improved by 1.5%, and that gives you confidence. That gives you momentum that you know what you're doing is going in the right direction. It's still a long, long way away from Mercedes, but that's that, you know that's not their challenge for the next few years. Their challenge is to get reduce that 2.8% again by the same step if possible. If you did that, you'd be doing pretty good. You'd be heading up that the, the top end of that midfield bunch. That'll be very, very difficult for them to do. But, you know, they've got the momentum. They've got confidence in what they did last year to move forward. They're just going to try and take that a step further into into, uh, 2021, which, you know, on one hand with the same car, it's difficult to do. But on the other hand, the same car, it's actually easier to do because you're not taking so many risks. You're only only focusing on the areas that you know can bring you, you're pretty confident can bring you some some improvements. You're not just, you're not just piling into a whole new car and designing everything again. You're not, you're not trying to reinvent the wheel. So um, one hand, it, the steps might be more difficult to take, but on the other hand, there should be steps in the right direction. And the car, as I say, that you know, one of the things that if you look from the, start from the front, really, as we always try and do, because the front's the first thing that sees airflow, 
and the rest of the car only sees the airflow that that, uh, that those those parts sort of shed off it. So you always start at the front and you end up at the back somehow. Um, and it's the ones that can do that best, the cars that can manipulate the airflow down through the whole package of the car as best possible that end up with the package that, that that's uh, producing the most downforce or the most efficient downforce or the most consistent downforce. And as I say, their, their front wing um, last year and the year before was very fairly primitive. You know, it had none of the trick stuff in it. It was just basically a very, very simple, very short cord um, leading leading edge flap. In other words, the main plane was a very, very short cord. And that's one way of of um, getting rid of or reducing sensitivity, you know, so that it actually works for you quite well. But it's, it, when you reduce sensitivity by losing downforce, that's never a good way to go. The car is better to drive, but you're losing too much peak downforce. So, um, you know, that, that's one of the areas where they've, they've always gone that route, but they never really get into the trick sort of vortex generation parts in the front wing. And this, you know, for 2021, they have. They've, they've, their front wing looks modern as far as uh, how they load it across the span. It's you know, a bit more Mercedes. It's a little bit more loaded outboard than what they used to run. Um, so they've moved around how the load's been going to be produced by that front wing. They've still retained their, their very short cord leading edge uh, main plane. Um, and that's more of a sort of airflow um, a customizer, I suppose you might call it. It sort of makes the airflow happen, appear onto the front wing surfaces pretty uh, pretty um, consistently. The problem is really that the slot gap, the first slot gap, is very is very near the throat of the wing, which is where the, the front wing produces the downforce. And when you've got the slot gap there, obviously it pulls more airflow through that slot gap, but it does reduce the total downforce. So um, it's an area that I think will get a, they have a consistent front wing. I'm not sure they'll just definitely get the peak downforce out of it that they need, but it's a step f- further forward than what last year's one was. So I think you know everything on the car going right through it is is uh, basically been challenged and uh, re re optimized. I suppose you know through the barge board again the same deal. It's all small detail changes, but in reality with the stability of the regulations we've had for such a long time um, and these changes to the to the floor and the diffuser area. That sort of area still has to do the same job. So you're you're not going to see anything revolutionary. You're just going to see small detail changes that make the airflow work a bit better. Behind that, there's a bit more, a few more changes, but we'll, we'll come to that in a minute or two. Well, it's encouraging to see that aerodynamic detail improving and them going in the right direction because it's fair to say, isn't it, Mark, that this team's weakness for a long period has been the aerodynamic side, hasn't it? That's been a weakness. Aerodynamics ultimately is the overwhelming performance differentiator in Formula One. And this is the area where they have to improve and continue to improve if this team's ever to get back to the level of being able to get podiums and and win races, let alone even think about fighting for championships. Yeah, and it's had quite a few um, personnel changes heading up the aerodynamic department over the past few years. And um, as as one new regime has come in, it sort of um, put a line through what was there before. And so really we're starting again um, back in 2019. And um, since then I've just been sort of building on that. So yeah, it is as now as the the team's being resourced um, more fully, and the building blocks are going in place. Hopefully, they can um, retain some stability whilst adding, you know, new expertise and uh, new simulation tools and all all those things that are they're going to help put performance on 
on Williams cars in general going forward. Um, but yeah, I think it's, it, it looks um, a more ambitious car than last year, as Gary was talking about with the front wing. Um, and it, it, it looks as though they have, at least within um, the, the constraints that have been allowed, they, they have, you know, attacked attacked what they can in the, the, the various surfaces that are that are visible or from what we can tell because it's it's a, a rendering that we've seen in the well the real car's gone around in Silverstone and on unpainted form. So um we haven't actually seen that yet in detail. But yeah, it, it does it looks um more aerodynamically ambitious but it's it's still within the constraints of what's a pretty old car and it's got the unfashionable wide nose which is, is Gary's talked about in the past is doesn't lend itself as well to the the cape turning the, the floor around. It's not it's not such a fashionable thing, but it, it's not um, you know I don't think that's going to be a in the, in the, in the part of the grid where it's expected to be fighting. I don't think that's that's going to be the, the a defining um, part of its performance. It's just you can see that it's it's visually quite an old car. It's just it's had some um, nice updates put on it. Yeah, and of course, the important thing is where it's coming from. It's been in, in the Constructors' Championship last position the last three years, which is which is pretty terrible for a team of that standing. So very much the, the first step. But Gary, looking a little bit further back on the car, what catches your eye? Well, yeah, that, that's the bit that's more interesting for me. That's the bit where they've sort of gone off the beaten track a little bit. Um, we all saw the Mercedes and the Aston Martin with its bulge on the, on the side cover to miss something underneath the bonnet as such. Uh, whereas on, on this car, you don't see that. Now, they've... You know, the, the cooling of these cars, there's, a, there's an inlet area, there's a big radiator in the side pod, and there's an exit area. And basically, you know, just as nice rough figures, the, the inlet area needs to be somewhere about 20% of the radiator area, uh, and the exit area needs to be somewhere about 35% of the radiator area. And that gives you a pressure drop across the radiator to pull the air through from the front to the back. The smaller you can make that inlet, and the smaller you can make the exit, and the smaller you can make the radiator, means there's less airflow going through there. So you have more airflow to actually create generate downforce because the airflow that the car is displacing won't do both. It's either going to cool the car or make some downforce. So what they've gone for now is you know a very simple um, radiator and a package around that radiator, and then they've wrapped the engine up as well, and they've sort of joined the two of them together as opposed to um, what you might call connecting the two up with nice flow lines. So they're basically getting the minimum sort of body area they can. But interestingly, I think their their exit area, which comes out of the radiators and goes down the sides of the engine, um, what you've got to do is try and make that as uniform as possible. You can't accelerate the airflow too fast coming through the radiators. It'll just stall. Um, so you have to sort of have an, a good expansion duct, I suppose you might call it, for the for the radiator exit. Now, these engines in, inside that body is, is sort of covered in another body as such. There's a gap between that inner body and the outer body. And that's the duct that you want to expand as consistently as possible just to get good airflow on it. So what they've done is they've, they've, they've taken some of that airflow through higher than the other cars, which is in effect giving them a, a narrower Coke bottle at the bottom. So the bodywork tucks in more underneath where you'd imagine the exhaust pipes and stuff to be. Um, it means it's a little bit more bulbous at the top, but um, it's only air volume down inside there that you're trying to sort of manage and you're trying to manage it in the best way possible so the objective for them was to make the coke bottle area as big as possible which is a very important part because you know it's the area that's above that section of the floor that was cut off that triangle in the floor that was cut off so 
what you want to do is, is reduce the blockage there as much as possible. Get as much airflow as possible through between the inside of the rear tyre and the bodywork. And that means there's less airflow for the underfloor to suck on with a low pressure area underneath the car. So you should get more downforce out of it. So they've definitely taken the bull by the horns as far as, if you look at the, the very front view of the car, the sort of up high front view of the car, you can see the, the sort of radiator section and then the, the bodywork section going past the engine. So they've, they've done something quite different from what Mercedes or Aston Martin, who are using the same engine, have done in the fact that they've um, they've tried to move the airflow across the sort of cam covers above the exhaust pipes of the engine rather than, than down low along the sort of side of the pumps and stuff down the bottom of the engine. And they've got more of a, a letterbox radiator exit, I think you might call it, at the back of the car, um, as opposed to a bulbous exit. There's more more of a horizontal letterbox. Just a bit more, but it's just small detail. And I think with what they've got, they, they might just have improved the volume of that Coke bottle area to get more airflow through there. So all in all, I think that's an area that they've attacked differently from other cars. It'll be interesting to see you know, who's got it right as, again. And it's encouraging to see they've actually, as you've, you've put it, Gary, attacked the car because we saw Haas reveal their, their livery on the old car. So we, did, we didn't talk about that because it is very much a 2020 car. But Williams could have said, oh, we're not going to bother doing too much on this. But they, they've done a lot. And Mark, as, as they said, They've got an aero upgrade for race one that they're going to try in testing as well. So they've got a couple of aero packages to to try out. And there is a plan for an in-season upgrade. So while obviously the priority is 2022 overall, because that's the key moment with the new rule changes, they've done enough to at least make some gains this year and hopefully at the very least still be in that Class C battle at the back, even if they don't make a bigger step. Yeah. And um, I think probably the biggest challenge they're going to have if we assume they're still going to be in that battle with the same two teams, um, will be just how much um, more horsepower Ferrari have given those other two teams. Um, because obviously they were well down on power last year to Mercedes and then Williams had the advantage of that. Um, so yeah, I'm sure Williams will have made gains as well. as uh, Mercedes will have made gains as well this year with a power unit. But you would assume that the Ferrari's got more headroom if you like for improvement um so that's that's probably going to be their challenge and they're going to have to hope that um the the gains that they've made aerodynamically and and, and on the weight and things like that um can overcome that um so yeah i would say that's the big challenge and uh see see where they are from there yeah i think i think mark what you're saying is right but what they've got to look at really is the fact that Last year, they were 2.8% away from Mercedes. And if Williams can shut that gap down to Mercedes, that's their big challenge. You know, the Haas and the, and the Alfa Romeo may come and go with Ferrari horsepower or whatever, but Williams have got to focus on themselves and making sure that gap to whoever's fastest um, is, is reducing. And as I say, it probably will be Mercedes, but if it's not Mercedes that are fastest, they've just got to look at Mercedes because they've got the same power unit in that car. So that 2.8% is the important thing for me. That's what you've got to shut down. And that's what gives you confidence. I, I wrote a thing a while back about, you know, you can't just let uh, 2021 slip by because everybody works with confidence, you know. It's like you writing a good story. You, you write a good story, people say, oh, I like that, and you get confidence, so you, you get in there again. But for an engineer, design engineer, aerodynamist, whatever, it's the same deal. You know, all those steps that you can make and go in the right direction means you've got confidence in the direction you're taking. And going into 2022... That's going to be critically important because you have to make some major decisions for then as to how you're going about stuff. You know, the, 
aerosensitivity of componentry, aerostole, using the aerostole to make the car better, making the car more consistently balanced. But you've got to have confidence from the fact that you've done bits and pieces of this. It's worked for you. Your head's sinking in the right direction. And that's really what 2021 for for all the teams, but especially Williams, is all about. You know, because they'd lost themselves for quite a few years. You know, And, and that, that really just means you don't do anything because you just don't know which way to turn. All you're doing is spending money, not going any quicker. Now they've got to spend a little bit of money, get that confidence, and then they'll go into 2022 with a, a confident approach to the development re- requirements of the new, the new regulations. And Mark, what do we make of the new ownership and the way they're conducting themselves? We know they've put in money. They put in over 100 million, both to clear most of the debts and also for cash injections, for facilities upgrades, etc. Do you think they're making the right moves? We can only judge from the outside. Um, and they, yeah, I mean, the, the amount of um, money that's been invested is very serious. Um, it, it, it gives a very um, clear message of intent. Um, the appointments they've made with uh, Jos Capito and the, the, the appointments that have been made um, further down technically all suggest that they are being very serious about restructuring this team, um, getting rid of the the legacy problems that it has had for for years and years, in in making it more modern, if you like, in in terms of the structure. So yeah, I mean every 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 pointer, every indicator from the outside uh, looks to be looks to be right, and, and everything they're saying um, makes sense. Gary, Jos Capito is now the, the man in charge as, as CEO. Is he someone you've crossed swords with in, much in the past? What do you know about him? Uh, yeah, I have. Um, I crossed swords with most people at some point in time in my life. Jos was, uh, was in charge of the, the Ford Rally Programme whenever I was technical director at the Jaguar. And uh, unfortunately, Jaguar, we weren't doing very well and the Ford Rally Programme was doing quite well. So Jos was a Ford, a Ford hero at that point in time. Um, but... In reality, I think he, he is a good guy for this, this situation because he, he comes in with a reasonable amount of credibility and the management style and an understanding that it, you know, it doesn't happen by, by luck or just, you know, just wanting to do it. You have to actually do it. Um, it's, it's a bit like Andreas Settle going to, or Settle going to um, McLaren. You know? He comes in with an approach from a completely different formula, but, but competition is competition. And that's what it's all about. And you also bring that, I think, to the to the new group at Williams because they've come into a team, but they haven't come in from any real competition, to be honest. And actually, interesting, you know, addition to to Williams as well is Jensen Button. Um, you know, yeah, he's, he he knows very very little about the whole the whole design of a car, but he does know what a driver expects out of it. You know, and it's not just the driver moaning that drives the car. There can be somebody else there that can actually give you a little bit of input from a, a detached point of view. Um, so I think the drivers at Williams can relate a little bit to to Jensen because he's still a current driver. You know, he hasn't he hasn't given up that long ago, um, and he, he's a he's a driver that will be able to listen to the, to their drivers and actually maybe just put that language a little bit differently to the to the engineers. So it's not as though he can go and do very much, but he can be a nice balance between the, a whinge and racing driver and a technical team that doesn't quite know what they're going to try and achieve. But I think technically they're going in the right direction with the appointments they've made with Jos Capito and other other staff. Obviously, it's not just one one person, but they're going in the right direction for the for the future. And, I, you know, as I say, I think they've shown more in this car than I personally expected from Williams to do on this car. 
So I'm pleased to see them do that because, again, as I keep saying, the confidence in that is such a big thing. But looking at Capito, Mark, he was at McLaren briefly. And as far as I understand it, a lot of the things that he identified in his brief spell there were things that were subsequently fixed. So the comparison with McLaren is a fairly obvious one. Do you think that that comparison holds water? Yes, once great Formula One team struggling, Williams is the same thing. Do you think that there's enough similarity there to say that that Williams can do the same thing as McLaren? Or do you think it's only the same thing in the, in the kind of lowest of resolutions and it's just get better and move towards the front? Well, no, two teams, the, the exactly the same and they, they, they have quite different cultures but in in many ways they've got they've had parallel paths you know through the 80s and 90s there were the two top teams weren't they and um you know you, you got Manso OJ was was um, stolen from Frank Byron and you had um Adrian Newey the same thing and um but you had the the sort of baseline at with Patrick Head as the technical baseline at Williams and um, Ron sort of um, split with John Bernard, so he didn't have that. And yeah, so they started diverging off different in different paths. And Williams was always um, renowned more as a, as a cottage industry structured team, whereas McLaren was much more modern in its structuring. Um, and so when when they've hit their various snags, uh, the, the 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 effect, the effects, the the causes of the snags, and then the effects are were, were quite different. But yeah, there's there are things in common. There are things in in, in how they um, where where they sunk to really competitively, and from where they'd been, and the the process of uh, clearing house and rebuilding is um, quite similar. It's a sort of we're about three years further on. Um, down the road at McLaren, um, probably in in that process, but yeah, so they, their story is actually quite similar. Yeah, of course. The question is whether they continue to go in the in the same direction, but yeah, certainly a, a, an interesting challenge for Williams that does actually look credible in in that regard. I guess the other thing they've got, Gary, which you always like, they've got a, a good young driver in George Russell. Of course, a good young driver who's got a couple of years of experience and who almost won a Grand Prix last year on his one appearance with Mercedes. So that that must be the kind of thing that really gives that team hope of some big results because yes he hasn't scored a point other than it is one off in a Mercedes but we know how good George Russell is with all those Q2 appearances last year so that must inspire a team when they know they're in for a a long hard year towards the back but to have someone that you know can pull out some magic must be important. Yeah it is very important I mean you can't doubt George's talent um it's just a little bit of a pity for him that he's he's got boxed in a little bit with the Mercedes um, contract, or whatever you like to call it, because he you know he's he's not got any way out of there right now. Um, so as long as he doesn't see frustration appearing too much, you know, in his forehead that this is maybe it, um, then I think you see him developing from from race to race. You know, I think Williams know that if they give him the tools, he'll do the job. He'll bring them back something, but. He's just not got to let frustration step in there that that's something might be nipping for 10th or 11th place rather than 1st or 2nd. And it would be very easy for that to happen. You know, I, we don't know what's happening with Lewis next year really yet. And we don't know what's happening with George Russell, whether he's going to be taking that seat up or not. But maybe they know a little bit more from it in the background. Um, and that will be that will be interesting to see how that unfolds through the season. But all George Russell can do is get his head down, make sure that he beats his teammate consistently, bring home the best result possible on a Sunday. 
And because that's all that that team can go for is the best result possible. If for any reason he's running in the top 10, keep it in the top 10, you know. Don't let excitement, over-excitement or what get to you. And I think his, his one run in the, uh, in the Mercedes last year showed him and sort of concreted and gave him that confidence that give me the opportunity and I can do it. So his mistake that he made at Imola um, last year in the Williams was again another step in the right direction for him getting his confidence and knowing that he's you know he can't throw things away because when he does get to a top team like Mercedes, you know if he does get to there he can't throw things away. So this is this is his learning curve and making sure you bring home the best result possible. In one car it might be first or second, let's say, in another car it might be tenth or eleventh. But no matter what it is, you got to take it to the checkered flag. And of course, Russell himself, Mark was quite coy about his aims for the year he was asked about whether this year was about proving he's good enough for Mercedes and obviously he doesn't want to sit there at the launch of a team's car and say yeah it's all about getting to another team next year but he is an interesting position because presumably he doesn't know exactly what's going on next year he'll also be evaluating the progress Williams is making and thinking whether that's the best place to be next year because if he's not in a Mercedes next year he could be in a Williams or he could be elsewhere so I guess he's quite a good barometer of where the team's level of progress is isn't he? Yeah, and all he can do is um, just wait to see how that situation develops. Um, if, if it really is um, uncertain, or as perhaps he already knows what what the game plan is, um, but if it is uncertain, all he can do is his best and uh, keep the focus. And I don't think he will um, lose that focus. He's he's going to be, if anything. Um, even more confident. I haven't haven't that run at um, in the Mercedes last year where he was, he was so impressive. Um, I, yeah, I can't see that he's got a future outside of Mercedes. I don't think he, he would. He needs to have a future outside of the Mercedes family at the moment. I think um, Toto Wolf has been um, very consistent in saying he's got a very very bright future. He just needs to keep faith. He's um, he doesn't need to worry. And I'm, I'm sure that's the case. I'm sure there is a plan for him uh, within the Mercedes family. And this is the final year of his Williams contract. So, uh, yeah, I think it'll be a bonus if, uh, if the Williams is, is better than um, expected and can transcend that part of the grid that, that it's been at uh, last year. But, yeah, this is, in many ways, it's, it's viewed from the outside, it's just a holding season for him. But obviously, he can't look at it like that. He's still got to deliver performance um, the maximum he can all the time. Um, but yeah, I think when we look back on it, we'll see in the career of George Russell, I think we'll see this was just, just the holding season. So final verdict, Gary. Obviously, you haven't got a great deal of information to go on, given we've just seen a handful of renders of the car. But where do you expect Williams to be running this season? Do you think it'd be similar to last year with a handful of Q2 appearances? Do you think it'd be worse? Could it be even better? Um, I I think it'll be a little bit better. I've just got a feeling in the water that it's um, they've, they've sort of addressed a lot of details on the car um, and left, yeah, I suppose they'll say, no stone unturned. Yes, they haven't got an R nose. Everybody else has, and that's a little bit of time, but it's a huge expense to get through the crash tests and stuff. So there's a time and a place for everything. Um you know your steps you're taking, and, and you know hopefully that'll work out for them on the track. But from what I've seen in the car, I'm you know quite impressed with what they've done and the, and the areas that they've sort of tried to exploit uh, a bit further are areas you know outside of the modern, the, the common thinking, I suppose you might call it, which is nice to see as well. 
So uh, I would expect him to do a little bit better. Probably, you know, hopefully more appearances in, in Q2. Getting through to Q1 might be a little bit tricky, but more appearances in Q2, and I would think a few a few points on the board. Nothing dramatic, um, but again, as we said earlier on in this, a lot depends on, on that big that step that Ferrari think they've taken, and because, as I say, Haas and Alfa may have get that free of charge. So um, it'll be interesting to see where they are. As, again, you could close the gap up to Mercedes, which is what, as I said earlier, again, Williams need to do, and you could actually end up by position further back so that's just one of those sort of sets of consequences Williams can only focus on where Mercedes get to and trying to close that gap down to them a bit if they do that then they've done a good job if they haven't done that then they, they have not done a good job so where the others are is all about the others well we'll take that as a relatively positive seal of approval from you that's always a encouraging thing for a team not easy to get Gary's thumbs up with a new car so thanks very much Gary and Mark Hughes do head to the race.com and don't forget the hyphen loads to read there including Gary's in-depth appraisal on the car and all the news from the launch press conference do check out sister podcasts bring back v10s and also check out our youtube channel just search for the race thanks for listening we'll be back probably for the ferrari launch next week and then of course there'll be regular podcasts during pre-season testing so join us next week for more on f1's pre-season As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.